Ah, daylight savings time strikes back. It is early. How many of you were tempted to go to Bedside Baptist this morning? Anybody? Okay, a couple of you. Yeah. (laughs) I went to Bedside Baptist for a good season of life. It was a good time. Very restful. Very comforting. But it is a, it's a treat to be with you guys here today. Uh, Well, as Fred said, I I work here on church uh, with our college students and young adults. Uh, connecting college students to, our, to the local church is something I'm passionate about. You see, uh, ironically, my time at Biola, I wasn't uh, particularly connected to the local church, uh, which was ironic. Uh, and so when I didn't make plans for myself, but I still felt the need to go to church, I uh, defaulted to you guys. So I, I hope you're encouraged to know that you guys are my backup plan. Uh, but I stuck around. Uh, and I've been here f- uh, for about seven or eight years and um, just very... Uh, very honored by this church's legacy. Uh, you guys have been faithful uh, for such a long period of time, uh, but legacy goes both ways. Uh, and so I'm passionate about moving our church forward uh, and being a part of that uh, for this season of life. Um, well, one of the things that we're talking about, we are in a series called Jesus, a vision for the church. Uh, we want to live as disciples in the way that Jesus would have for us. We want to follow him as he would have for us. We want to connect as he would have for us. We want to go out into North Orange County, into the ends of the world, as he would have us. Uh, And so to help us in that journey today, uh, our initial text for the morning is going to be from Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be up on the screen. Matthew chapter 4 beginning in verse 12. It says this, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so this is our initial text this morning. But before we move any further, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we as your people gather together, you know uh, where the week, the week that we have just lived, Lord, you know. Uh, where we come from. You know the burdens, the pains, the sorrows, you know the triumphs. Um, And Lord, now we gather to be encouraged and to be sustained by you. And we ask that your spirit would speak to us uh, through your word and that you would give a word to each of us for the coming week in our relationships, our responsibilities, Lord, what you have for us. Uh, So we commit this time to you and we ask that you go before us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, as, as I mentioned, I, I work for college students and young adults. And one thing I do often as I go on Cal State Fullerton's campus, uh, often, anybody here ever go to Cal State Fullerton or work there for a season of life? Yeah, a couple of you. Yeah, you're proud. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, we got a couple of you in here. Uh, and, I, you know, I'll, I'll be on campus and I'll see some strange things on a given day. Uh, but one thing that I saw recently that is unfortunately a very familiar sight as I was walking on the quad, which is the central section of the campus there, and I see a guy 
with a big old book in one hand and a megaphone in the other, raises his mouth, and he's yelling at these students that God hates them, that the women ought to be ashamed by how they're dressed, that God is going to judge them all. It's a familiar sight to many of us. And just as a show of hands, how many of you are inclined to listen to a spouse or to a friend when they're yelling at you? Anybody? Anybody prefer that? Okay, we got, okay. Most of you know, though. Most of you, I mean, if you're like me, Ryan, you got to do your taxes. What? I don't, I don't understand, you know, why, but okay, I'll do it. Uh, but no, when, 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 I don't know what this guy imagined, but he, he comes on this campus, he's yelling at students, and so what I observe is this wide gulf, ever widening between these students and this man with the megaphone. And ironically, the very people for whom the gospel is meant are being repelled by those bearing his name. This has been a familiar sight to all of us. At the first service, I had a lady come up to me and she said, I saw that 20 years ago, just as you see it today. This is something that has taken place in every time and every place. God's people preaching the gospel and driving the very people for whom it was meant away. But what we see in the gospels contrasts with what we see with the man with the megaphone. You see, for Jesus, Jesus preached tough things. He said, those of you who believe in me, your righteousness must exceed that of Pharisees. That's a tough tough teaching. It's a tough saying. And so Jesus preached tough things, and yet at the same time what we observe is that the very worst of society, the very scum of the earth, the broken, the needy, the sinners, these were people that Jesus attracted with his message. And so what we're looking at today is how is it that Jesus compelled the very broken of society to follow him? And so turning back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went there and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Okay, so the first thing, The first thing to note from this passage is that Jesus takes up the mantle of the prophetic witness that John has just left by being arrested. You see, John, as Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 2 says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When we look back at the Matthew passage of chapter 4, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It is literally verbatim. Jesus and John preach the same message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now to make sense of all of this, Matthew quotes from an Old Testament passage. So turn with me to the big old book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. It says this, and what we're looking here is, is, is what it would mean for Jesus' original hearers. What would it mean for Jesus' original audience? When they heard the kingdom of heaven, what would they think? This is what they would think. Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations 
by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. As people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire." So you see, those of you that are familiar with your biblical narrative will know that the people of Israel were given a covenant. Through Moses, God had given them the law and they were charged with upholding and keeping it and thereby being a witness to the nations. But the people of Israel failed in their mission to be faithful to the law. And so as a result, Babylon comes in, conquers the nation, sends them into exile And yet there's this hope throughout all the prophets that the people of Israel would be returned from exile and they would be drawn back to the land one day. And so that would be the first thing. That would be the first thing that Jesus' audience would hear when they heard the kingdom of heaven has come near. They would have heard that the return from exile was approaching. That's the first thing. The second thing, continuing on in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government. And peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so what we see from these two last verses is two things. Number one, the coming of the kingdom of heaven meant a return of Israel's rightful king. You see, just as the people of Israel had failed in their mission to uphold the law and God's covenant, so too had the kings failed to lead the people in that same mission. And so what happens when Babylon comes in, the last king of of Israel is drawn to Damascus for for sentencing. He's put before the council. He's pronounced judgment over him. Each of his sons are slaughtered before his eyes. Then his eyes are gouged out and he is carried off in chains to Babylon. That is the end of the line of kings. And yet, throughout the prophets, there's a hope that one from the line of David will return one day, sit on the throne, and lead the people once again. And so that's the second thing that Jesus' audience would hear. And the third is, is this. The third is this, that the people in experiencing God's covenantal blessing would be transformed to be obedient to him. That they would actually one day fulfill the covenant that was given to them and that they would be a witness to the nations. And so the three things is just the kingdom of heaven has come near, that they would be returned from exile the king would return to Israel and the people would be faithful to God's covenant and experience his blessing as a result. So those are the three things that Jesus's original audience would hear or think of when they hear the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
But what's so interesting is we don't see that happening with Jesus. In fact, if you were to turn on the news today, we don't even experience that today. Right? You turn the news on at any point and you see a world that is broken and divided. A world empty from the blessing that God would have for it. Completely deviated from what it is that the Lord intended for each and every one of us. This is not even something that we experience today. In fact, Jesus' ministry gets so strange, in fact, so even underwhelming for his original Jewish audience, that John the Baptist, the man who first originally preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, even John begins to doubt that Jesus is who he says he is. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? Now, it's easy to miss John's skepticism here. And yet, when you look at the text, he's questioning who Jesus is. John imagined Jesus on a, on a horse with the crown of David on his head in full regalia, leading the armies of Israel to defeat their enemies. Like the man in the quad with the megaphone, John imagined a violent Messiah. And instead, what you get is a ragtag band of misfits, losers, sinners, following a raving prophet whose own family doesn't even take him seriously and his hometown ridicules. And that's what you get with your Messiah. To all of this, Jesus responds in verse 4. He says, go back. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You see, unlike the general that the people of Israel anticipated, what you have instead is a Messiah that has mercy on the blind and gives sight, has mercy on the deaf and gives hearing, has mercy on the sinners and forgives. You imagined a violent Messiah who would bring the kingdom by force. But what instead is you have a man who is gracious and forgives. And here he says, the things that you anticipated are indeed coming, but they are small. And they are just beginning, but most importantly, they have come by a way you did not expect. The grace of God. Continuing on, in verse 11, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. In other words, 
The message, the message of the kingdom of heaven has been plagiarized and stolen by men that would use it for violent means. You see, like the man on the quad with the megaphone, so too did the people of Israel expect a violent Messiah. And Jesus says, no, it is by a different way that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And yet, as we read in Matthew 4, Jesus preached, repent, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, in, in, in his ministry, Jesus expected a change in those who received him. Continue on in verse 20. It says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. Why? Because they did not repent. And that's key. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon. Those of you familiar with your biblical narrative will know that Tyre and Sidon were known for their wickedness, for their wealth, for their opulence. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. You see, the respectable people, the respectable people of Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, they looked at the ministry of Jesus in which he had mercy on the broken, and they said, no. We want no part in this. We imagined a general who would lead us to victory, and instead what we get is a man who forgives. The Messiah who is gracious. And so that is why, that is why Jesus' followers have always been a ragtag band of misfits. You see, because it is by grace, grace convinces those who are convinced they're broken. And that's the beauty of it. I mean, many of us in this room, we throughout our lives have experienced this healing, the, the healing of Jesus, that we, in our brokenness, have met with Jesus here in our relationships and we've been changed as a result. You see, this is how the kingdom of heaven draws near. And so for Jesus' disciples, just as it is true for today, Jesus charged them, he said, I have not been sent for the healthy but for the sick. Our ministry is not to those who are, or who are convinced that they do not need help. Our ministry is for those who are convinced that they need help. You see, and the longer that I have been on Cal State Fullerton's campus, the longer, I mean, the longer that I've just gotten to know people in general, the more I realize that, you know, you don't need to remind people how they've fallen short. In many ways, they're already very aware of that themselves. In fact, that might be the thing that they're most aware of. I, uh, in one of our five-team community groups, we are, uh, we're going through a book on prayer. And uh, in it, it's one of the prayers that the author prays. He says, Lord, uh, be gracious to those who live with me. Uh, or no, he says, Lord, be with those who live with me, for I am hard to live with. 
And I think that's something, that, I mean, I live with, with five of my best friends, and let me tell you, it is something that I pray for them as well as for me as well. I mean, it's great living with your best friends, but man, sometimes it's hard. Can I get an amen? Yeah. <laughs> but when we meet with one another, as Jesus meets with the broken, with grace, that is how people are one. And so church, whether it's here, whether it's in Orange County, whether it is to the ends of the earth, mediate that grace. Many of you are, uh, you know, we've got a kind of a, a diverse crowd kind of taking a survey of the ages here and or age range here. And uh, some of you uh, have grandkids, my peers, uh, my generation isn't just leaving the church. They've already left it. <laughs> and uh, now more than ever, now more than ever, they need your gracious mediation of Jesus in their lives. When, uh, when Paul is talking to um, one of his, of his local churches in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he goes through this whole list of absolutely despicable sins. He lists them off one by one. Angry, sexually immoral, greedy, envious, you name it. He, he lists off all these despicable sins. And at the very end, he says, and that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so, let us preach. Let us preach that same washing, that same healing, that same justifying. Let us not preach the condemnation that the world is already so weary of hearing. When I, uh, when I think about... Um, when I think about... Uh, what this means for me. When I, was, when I was in seventh grade, my family moved from uh, Chicago to Southern California, and it was, it was such an adjustment for me. I mean, Orange County is a crazy place. Um, and I just remember being so difficult for me as a, I mean, I was like a fairly introverted junior higher, uh, and it was so difficult for me to be, to go to a bunch of familiar contexts, school, sports. It was just so tremendously painful for me. But what I do remember is a man by the name of Brenton Fessler who accepted me as the strange, awkward, skinny seventh grader that I was. And he provided a place for me. And he spoke of things that painted a different picture of life. He spoke of the grace of God. He spoke of his faithfulness. And he painted the picture of a different life that God intended for me. And he invited me into a group of people, many of whom have become my closest friends. Brenton mediated the grace of Jesus for me, accepted me in all of the brokenness that the world profited from me. And in experiencing that, I was changed. I could not reject that. And when I think about a lot of my peers, my, a lot of my cousins and friends, they've, they've left the church. They've left the faith. 
And while I might think that there's a lot of reasons for my faith that have kept me, I do think probably it was the ministry of Brenton Fessler that truly has stuck with me at the base level. Why? Because grace convinces those who are convinced they're broken. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are, uh, we are grateful. We are grateful for your grace. We are grateful for your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, I just pray an encouragement over the people in this room that as they go out in their areas of um, work, relationships, responsibilities, Lord, we want to be people that mediate your grace. Be with us in this, Lord. Encourage us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.